why are we constantly measuring our value and our worth based on how much we do rather than who we are? Mm. That's where the real value is. Who are we as people? What matters to us? You know, what are our values? What is it that we want to share with others? Dear Balancer, I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together, let's find your unique balance. All right, Balancers, today we are joined by somebody who has quit their UN job to dance around the world. She now helps people live life with purpose, meaning, and as well is on a mission to redefine happiness. She's an author and now happiness expert, and it is my honor to introduce Alianor Salmon to the Balance Theory podcast. Welcome. I am so excited to get chatting to you today and get stuck into all things happiness. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to dig into happiness today. Me too. And uh, as we were saying off air, we probably should have started the recording about 10 minutes ago because we've had such an incredible chat already. So I can't even wait to dive into the conversation, but just so the listeners get a little bit of a feel for who you are and what you do outside of, I guess, my very, very brief intro. Can you share a little bit about just that? Sure. So my journey to happiness began when I was working as a happiness researcher at the UN. And the more that I researched happiness, the more that I realized that I was actually unhappy. Uh, Like so many of us, I had an idea of happiness that was based on what society always told me happiness was, which was to get a good job, to rise in the ranks, get promoted, have a good job title. Of course, I had the mission to contribute to the world, which working for the UN gave me and fulfilled me in that sense. Um, but the more I dug into the theory, the more I realized that happiness is actually about something much deeper than that. And that maybe I'd been chasing the wrong things at the same time. I'd lost three people that I loved in just six months. I was really feeling sadness, grief, heartbreak, and I was starting to really burn out ironically on a happiness project. So it got to the point where I thought, well, how can I be giving speeches on happiness, publishing research on happiness? studying it all day if I'm not living and actually embodying what this is all about. And Mm. so one day when I was at the the most heartbroken, the saddest moment, I think, of my life. Would you say rock bottom? Yeah, I would say really rock bottom emotionally. Um, Really, I I felt like there was just a darkness and a, a hole inside my chest. I don't know how to explain it in any other way because it's a really visceral feeling. But um, I was with a friend and I asked her, what would you do if you could do anything without the limit of time or money? And then I didn't expect her to return the question back to me and I couldn't answer it. So I closed my eyes and I looked into this kind of black hole that was my heart at the time and I was just searching inside of it. And so often we fill our time with distractions and things and we're so busy that we don't listen to our hearts. But in that moment, I just closed my eyes and asked, what's going to spark a flame? What's going to bring back that fire inside of my heart? What would it look like? Who would I be with? In what environment would I be? What would help me deal with this grief and this sadness right now to feel that I'm actually living fully? And I imagine myself freeing my body from my desk, dancing in the streets, in the fresh air, with people, connecting, enjoying the music, because I thought that's what it looks like to be alive. And so I said to my friend, you know what? I think I would take a break from work and learn how to dance. And I'd never really, I'd taken a few beginners classes in, in bachata, but I really didn't know much, but I loved the idea of learning Latin dances and, and, I didn't think that it would turn out to be the itinerary it was. Initially, I thought maybe a dance holiday to Buenos Aires for tango. But as I developed the idea, it grew and grew. And it turned into a journey of almost a year through eight different countries, learning a total of 18 dances. And every single one of them gave me a lesson about happiness and helped me find my path. They gave me the answers that I needed. So this journey was a complete transformation for my own happiness for me. 
That's incredible. And actually, before we just spoke about your journey, I thought you maybe had a background in dance and it was like a side passion, something you wanted to pursue. So I'm like completely blown away by the fact that, you know, in a moment of maybe complete uncertainty and, and, and where you felt completely lost, you actually had the strength to look inward and be like, well, what would this look and feel like? And you had the I want to say nerve, but confidence maybe is a better word, the confidence to just go after something that, you know, was not even like a career. How old were you at that moment, if you don't mind me asking? I was 29. 29. Okay. So that's probably around the age of a lot of the listeners at the moment. And one of the things that I think a lot of people would resonate with is potentially not having the time or financial Mm -hmm. freedom to pursue something that they want. Mm -hmm. And obviously to take maybe a year off work, Um, It is not something a lot of people would do. It also isn't logical, right, in the sense of I'm going to take myself as an example. I studied law for five years, was working as a financial banking financial lawyer for three years, and I just recently this year, you know, finished up my job to pursue the podcast and another e-commerce business that I run. And so that's not logical in in the sense of my timeline. It's not logical in the event of, you know, getting promoted and working my way up as a lawyer. And and I guess in your, I think if we're looking at how society talks about happiness and progress and whatnot, like at that age, at 29, it's kind of as you're gearing up to really build a foundation. That's what a lot of people are scared of losing to pursue something that they're passionate about. So Mm. can you just talk to me? I'm just really curious about the moment that you decided to do that. Was it something you thought, okay, I'm going to try and make a career out of this? Was it something you thought, I need to do this, I have a calling to it? Was it something you really had to mull over? Like what actually helped you make that decision if it was a hard decision for you to make at all? Well, there's really a lot to unpack in there and I'm I'm trying to think of the best place to start. Um, First of all, it's not logical. That's a very interesting point. Um, Is happiness really logical? I mean, logical according to what? According to what society has told us is what happiness should look like. And happiness and success are very interesting to look at together. And one of my favorite happiness researchers and experts, Sean Aker, his research proves that if we want to be happy, it doesn't mean being successful. If you want to be successful, it means being happy. I love that. We have this idea that we need to have that job, that status, that amount of salary, that relationship, that house, that car, these things do not make us happy. The perfect body, the perfect boyfriend, it does not make us happy according to the science of happiness. So what does make us happy, actually? So what makes us happy, according to my approach to happiness, is very much rooted in our sense of identity. People identify themselves with their jobs. And they kind of put, like, class people right away, like, oh, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're this, you're that. But what if you just shared, oh, my top three values are this? Like, mine are kindness, love, and gratitude. That's who I am as a person, not my job title. And what's your mission in life? What do you care about? What's the reason you wake up every morning? These are the questions that really matter. Um, But I I had to go through this whole journey to find that out, of course. So Mm. at the time, if we rewind to when I was 29, when I was making that tough choice, I was going against everything society had told me was success. And I was at the peak of my career. I was really in the best place I had ever been. And people were like, why now? But you know what? Leaving on a high is really a good thing because Mm -hmm. it gave me that momentum on the other hand, the emotional sadness and grief that I was going through meant that I had absolutely nothing to lose. It gave me so much fuel to overcome my fear. And mm. very often when we see people that have embarked on a life-changing journey like this, they often are recovering from maybe a divorce or someone that's passed away, um, something absolutely heartbreaking and devastating because they need to find themselves again. Now, it's very sad that we often wait until we're either completely devastated or angry in order to actually, or completely burnt out or just done. That's usually Mm. when we choose to take the jump when actually we should be thinking about this all the time. Yeah. And so I knew I was taking risks. I knew that I was giving up a career that thousands of people were lining up to replace me for, but I followed my heart and, and that's just, that's completely 
priceless because yeah. it was really a gift. And, and when I look back, I have absolutely no regrets. And the financial issue is interesting because I made huge financial sacrifices to embark. I saved for a whole year. So I knew I could sustain myself a bit, but the, the instability of a freelance life, I mean, with time, it does get better. But honestly, if you ask me to choose between the security of a regular income and the uncertainty, but knowing that each day I wake up for myself, I, I choose the freedom and a life that every day I get to define by my own set of values. That's beautiful. And, and I guess it comes down to what's the investment worth to you at the end of the day. You know, you can invest in your heart and yourself and that's time, not to say you're never going to get back, but you have one life and, and you just got to live it in a way that feels aligned for you. There are a couple of things you've said that I, I just want to touch on. The first one is the way we introduce ourselves. And it's really interesting when I, normally the first question I ask people a little bit about who you are and what you do nine out of 10 times it's I do this and really interestingly the other week I was um at a social event and I was meeting some new people and so refreshing this person was introducing this other guy to me and she said to me this is so and so he's such a loyal person he's got a great sense of humor and he just loves partying something along those lines and I thought wow that is incredibly refreshing firstly and secondly, and I think for everybody listening as well, is a really nice reframe and a moment to just pause and say, you know what, if I had to introduce myself to somebody else in terms of who I am, like who I am, not what I do, I think that's sometimes a really hard question to answer. We don't actually know who we are. And like you said, we get we latch onto these identities and we can't even begin to describe ourselves as separate from that. And I think it's such an important like just mini activity to do on your own mm -hmm. because what you care about, what you value, that's going to change as time goes on. But that's basically your framework and the building blocks for your ideals on balance, on happiness, on success. If you don't know what you care about, then it's very hard to be like, well, then success means this to me because then you just, I, I feel like it's very easy then to fall into the definitions that society just projects because you don't have your own parameters. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to call that one out because I think it's a really good little reflection task for everybody listening. Um, and a really nice thing to just think about when you are introducing yourself, because I think it's, it was an absolute standout thing for me to hear and, and super refreshing. Um, and the second thing I wanted to ask you, so you were talking about, you know, this moment where you were emotionally at a rock bottom and, and most people do wait for, I suppose, that really dramatic moment in their life to make a change. Maybe they're going through something extreme, like you said, like a divorce or midlife mm -hmm. crisis, whatever it is. But I, I've, I have interviewed somebody else. Her name is Sarah Davidson. She hosts the Seize the A podcast. And she talks a lot about breaking the autopilot circuit and not waiting for a moment where, you know, your life's turned to shit, excuse the language, or mm -hmm. you're having a complete rock bottom moment. It's every day checking in with yourself and asking, am I actually happy doing what I'm doing? Does this still align for me? Does it still work for me? So it's to kind of shake people up and be like, you know what, you don't need to wait for something drastic to happen in your life to ask that question. You can actually just positively reflect on it now, um, which, which I think is quite interesting when we're talking about happiness. So I suppose my question to you off the back of that is for anybody listening who doesn't really feel like they're in a moment where they're questioning their life or feeling lost necessarily, what are some things they can start to look at or consider to really think about whether they are happy in different areas of their life, whether it be work or their relationships? Like where can they sort of start to just pick their interests to, to check in with themselves? Absolutely. So I, I would definitely share my approach to, to happiness. It's kind of what Please. I call the happiness makeover from uh, in, in three basic steps. Um, I mean, this is really the, the higher level picture. First of all, you need to be clear on your identity. You need to know what your values are. You need to know what really matters to you. You need to know what your strengths are. You need to know what your weaknesses are. And those will then inform what your mission and purpose is and what brings you meaning then you need to actually embody all of that. And this is the hard part. 
It's so mm. easy to read loads of books. You can listen to all the podcasts you want, but unless you actually go out there and walk the talk, or in my case, dance the talk, um, <laughs> then what's the point? So then you're like, okay, how am I practicing my values? How am I utilizing my strengths? How am I learning from my weaknesses? How am I exercising my passions? And how am I following my purpose and mission? And then finally, you have alignment. Alignment is how am I choosing to spend my time, my energy, and the people around me in order to let me express all of this? So mm-hmm. I see it kind of, I call it in my signature course, Redefine Your Happiness, I call it the decision compass. So if you have every single day, we are faced with hundreds, if not thousands of small choices that we can make, what we're going to eat, what social event we commit to, what people will spend time with, the words that come out of our mouth, everything. Now, for instance, if your top value is kindness and you spend your time talking unkindly about people, you're completely out of alignment. And that's where you have to think, ah, wait, it's almost like you took a, I don't know, you can imagine it like an Instagram filter on a photo. It's a filter that's been made up of all these components. And you just want to make sure that you've got that filter before you make any decision. It all has to fit. So that's kind of my big kind of high level idea of happiness is that's where people should start. And I really recommend to start with the um, values in action survey, which is free. It's based on positive psychology, which is the science of happiness. And I also have a happiness workbook and in redefine your happiness exercises around values and finding your strengths and your weaknesses, and then looking at how you can boost them or learn from them. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you said that because I think it's all well and good to be like, yep, work out what your values are. But sometimes it's like, well, what values do I have to choose from? Like, I don't even know where to start. So I'm really glad you've pointed that out. And I'm, I'm going to actually look at that after our call as well, but I'm sure that's a great resource. And I'll pop links to your course as well mm-hmm. below. But I think it's almost like a personal SWOT analysis to just check in with yourself. Yeah. And I would even argue doing this once to twice a year because, you know, what your values are. Look, I think fundamentally what you care about is there's probably some lifelong baseline things there. But in terms of what you value, I think can have different priorities at different moments in life. And this is where the concept of balance comes in because you can value, you know, friendships and uh, philanthropy or music or whatever it is, but at different moments in your life, say if you've just become a new parent, some of the things are just going to have to take a different level of priority in your life. And that's where the whole balance idea comes into it, right? But knowing what those are is, is absolutely the first starting point. So I'm really glad you said that. Now, if somebody is going to do this, so they sit down, they work out their values, they work out their strengths and weaknesses. Um, let's focus on strengths, but maybe. And they, they look at, like, say, where they're spending most of their time, which for a majority of people is their work, their career. And they go, it doesn't really reflect anything that I value. And I'm using some, but maybe not all of my strengths and or passions. What can they kind of start to do from there? If, if it's not a question of, well, leave that job and look for something else. Is there a way we can look at what we're doing in our spare time as a means to fill that void? Or do you think it, it really comes down to making a big decision at that moment of what are you going to, what the hell are you going to do with your time? That's a really good question, and I think that everyone has two options. If you're completely out of alignment, if you're working in a job that is completely a company that is completely against your values, where you're not using your strengths, and it's really there's no hope to change that situation, by all means, leave. If you've got friendships that are weighing you down, that are completely against what you stand for, leave them. You have to, you know, this is, what I like is to, show people how empowering it is to actually become the architect of your own happiness. You can choose yourself. Mm. And so there are these big life-changing decisions that are sometimes necessary when something is a hard no. In other cases, I think that, you know, people often think, oh, if I want to be happy, I have to take a sabbatical, so I need to save. Of course, for me, that was the case. And if you can do it, wonderful. And I did spend a year saving for it. It's not like it was something I could do overnight. On the other hand, I practice happiness every single day based on my own framework. And it's a daily, consistent practice. That one year is not going to solve everything. So in that case, I would think, okay, 
I'm spending most of my time at work. I would think, okay, what's the mission and vision of this company or of my employer or this organization? And how does it fit with my values? Okay, yes, this is why I'm here. Okay, what are my strengths? Am I using them in my work? Okay, to some degree, but maybe not. Talk to your boss and say, look, I'm really good at this. I think I can give you more value. Let's switch something up a bit and see how I can utilize my strengths. What are your values? Okay, I need to learn from this. How can I work on them in a conscious way? Now, you can do this in the workplace, but you can also do this in your personal life because Mm. we need something that I find so fascinating. And back when I was working at the UN on the reform of education systems and happiness in schools, what I found so interesting is that if you wanted children to develop the capacity to be happier and therefore contribute to building happier societies, the skills they needed, they were most likely to learn in extracurricular activities. So by looking at children in schools, I actually saw this applies exactly to adults. We've just forgotten it because we think that as adults, we don't need that anymore. But children are actually much happier than us. They, they, They already know, like they have a lot of wisdom to teach us. So there I thought, okay, what does this look like in the adult world? It means having activities outside of your work. Life projects. So anything that allows you to be you. I mean, for me, this is the top, you know, the top of Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You go to the top of the pyramid, self-actualization. What does self-actualization look like? It means I am expressing my essence and I'm by being me, I am putting something into the world. And it's something that's unique to everyone. And for instance, if you're going to dance, no one will dance like you. You can do the same choreography as 10 other people, but no one will do it the same way as you. It's completely unique. The same with singing, painting, building, creating. Um, I mean, there are endless examples, but basically look at retired people. What do they do with their time? They maybe learn a new language. They learn a new dance. Why do we wait until we're retired to do this? This should be part Mm. of our everyday life, even if it's just once a week. Yeah. Yeah. Do something that makes your heart sing. It's like uh, extracurricular for adults. We um, we get too right. responsible. You know, we become and do the responsible thing and sometimes it doesn't fall in as a priority. And one really interesting thing on this topic, right, I think a lot of people may resonate with this. Um, let me know if you do as well. I feel like there's this element of having these additional passions or projects outside of work. There's a sense that it will make you less effective at your job because you're almost got too much else going on. And I think a lot of people shy away from maybe sharing that part of themselves at work because it may appear that way. And coming from a corporate office, I can say that there was definitely an element of that. Um, I I never shied away entirely. And, And what I actually found was the complete opposite to my perception. So I thought, you know, if I start sharing and talking about all these things that I've got going on the side and what I'm passionate about, people are going to think, if I leave at five o'clock, it's because I'm lazy at my job and because I'm too busy with other stuff I've got going on. You know, that was a fear I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but to my surprise, when I, you know, shared with my team and, and the office wide that I had a podcast, I had such positive feedback. People would come to me and, you know, share other podcasts they listened to really piqued, it piqued a personal interest in them of, mm-hmm. hey, this, this girl's got something cool going on in her life and that makes up who she is. And so I think for anyone listening who has that fear or maybe thinks that, it's almost like when you were studying at school or uni, you think if you go out, then oh, that's hours you could have spent studying. I think that we need to look at this more holistically and go, these are all things that make me who I am. And and I would actually go to the extreme other side and say that having all these outlets for things you may not get to express at work actually makes you more productive at your job because you are filling that cup, you're filling that happiness. And so for anyone with that fear, I would really urge you to overcome it and even go to the extent of sharing what it is you love with your colleagues or making time for those life projects. And one thing you and I were speaking about before we jumped on air is I went through a bit of a process uh, when I was at uni particularly where I had a lot going on. And I, and I was saying to you, like, I was, I felt like I was thriving. I was, you know, doing the podcast. I was working as a PT. I just had so much going on and I would constantly have this positive commentary that I was doing too much. And I know you had a similar experience or you definitely had some thoughts on that. So I'm going to hand it over to you. I know I've just waffled a bit there, but that, that's sort of my thoughts on having life projects that attach to or maybe ancillary to your nine to five, shall we say. 
Amazing. I'm going to split that in two. First of all, I really like what you said about people thinking, if I invest in my hobbies, I'll be less good at my work. So again, if we go back to the research that um, was done on, on children and in schools, um, many people have the idea that if children spend more time on their on extracurriculars, they will worsen their performance in academic subjects. Most education systems in the world prioritize traditional subjects like language, math, science, and they have become exam machines. At the end, they reduce these children to a test score. Now, what the studies actually show and the in the positive education world or happiness in schools world is children get better grades in traditional subjects when they have had time to spend on extracurricular activities or on the hobbies. Um, I believe it. So one person who I admire profoundly, who sadly is no longer with us, is Sir Ken Robinson. He has an amazing TED Talk called Why Schools Are Killing Creativity. And he actually found through his work that you should put children in dance classes rather than maths and that it would better prepare them for life. I, of course, am completely for that. <laughs> the education for me it taught me so much about life it increased my intelligence my critical thinking my ability to manage to, to just utilize so many different forms of intelligence and so I would say they are not mutually exclusive putting time on your hobbies will only make you better at your job because when you're more first of all when you're more satisfied and happy and you feel that you're expressing yourself you're going to be better at everything around you but also your hobbies are making you use skills that it strengthens your brain you know it yeah. helps you with problem solving with critical thinking absolutely constantly exercising by seeing things from new angles and it's interesting because i know that fear of leaving at 5 p.m. and thinking no i don't seem committed enough unless i'm the last to leave the office so many people go through this but honestly, isn't it down to the quality of the work that you deliver, not the amount of hours that you just sat in front of a screen? And what if going to a dance class is going to bring you much higher quality in a, in a project because you've got a new idea that came to you that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't have used flex those muscles in your brain? So they are not mutually exclusive. Dedicating time to hobbies will make you better at your job. And now with the great resignation and so many people quitting their jobs, I actually saw, I think it was in a Forbes article, but I can't, I'm not 100% sure. It may have been Harvard Business Review. Um, an article saying, if you want to keep your employees, invest in their hobbies. And I think hmm. that this is really important because I always ask myself, what would it take to put me back in an office? And honestly, I don't know what it would. I really, <laughs> uh, mm, but I thought, okay, if my employer financed all the things that I loved, maybe, maybe I would, I would consider um, I'm glad you brought this up because I was just thinking as we were as we were speaking like there's one thing to have like you know your own personal perception or I guess w whatever the culture is in that specific team of you know if this person leaves at five o'clock what does that mean everyone's perception of productivity that's one shout the other shout is what's coming from the top down what are the values of the company and you know if that company is not valuing people having personal time then that's going to be really hard for you to actually positively integrate into your life you're going to feel as a byproduct of whatever values that company has like if if, if it's you know people can't stay at work until midnight if you're not doing that you're as a byproduct going to feel guilty and and that's why I had to step away from corporate and make I also made the decision as a junior lawyer to not put myself forward for top tier law firms because that was just point blank the expectation and I was not prepared to give up my life for a company that I knew that was just the expectation. If you're working at a top tier firm, it's it's eight, nine, ten o'clock finishes. You know, that's my bedtime. That's a time I want to cook meals or work on my podcast and stuff like that. So I think absolutely everything you've said, it makes you more productive. But I think then it's one thing, the culture and then the top down from the employees. So that's really interesting that there's been an article written about it. And I love that you're shooting all these science bombs that's basically confirming all these things I've just been thinking about for like five years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the evidence is out there. Um, there's so There have been so many fascinating studies. Um, the question is convincing big companies to change their, their culture. The more they mm. invest in your personal life, the more that people will give back to them. And Absolutely. I would say some companies that are innovating in this, their employees don't want to leave. 
because they know they're getting and it and what's interesting is it's not just the financial part you can give loads of benefits like contribute to housing or schooling or healthcare, but it's it's also giving people free time giving them yes. holidays giving them access to ways to express themselves outside of their job mm. um so i think that's really important and and leading onto that from your second question, which was about people telling you that you were doing too much outside of work and about life projects. This one is very interesting because we kind of have this dilemma in the sense that, so one, whether it's life projects or work projects, I think that it's our generation, if we're millennials, especially for some reason, we think that our worth and our value is based on how much we do. Guilty. <laughs> yeah. Me too. I'm recovering from that. I had to re-educate <laughs> myself out of that and I'm still learning. All of us struggle from this. We think, okay, I need to work really hard on this job and whatever achievements, promotions, then I'll be worthy. And we wait for those moments to feel validated. Exactly. We think, okay, uh, I will be worthy once I reach this point. And then what I see happening because of my, uh, I spent six years as a digital nomad and I would still consider myself a, a, a retired nomad who <laughs> still like semi <laughs> flies off uh, from time to time. Um, I see this happening in the entrepreneurial space as well, because when you start a business, it is your baby. It is an extension of yourself. So then you start to measure your worth based on the performance of your business which is then the next step. We keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. So what's interesting here, on the one hand, we have to be really careful that we don't define ourselves by our status, the, by how much money we've made, by how well our business is performing, um, by how much we've sold. Um, or for example, I could even give you an example of people cramming their social life. Like how many trips did I go on this year? Because I have to have fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, well, you have to tick it off, checkbox. Exactly. Like I very often see people counting the number of countries they've gone to. Now, I know a lot of people, that's just a simple example. I don't count them because you could spend a year somewhere and have so, like how do you measure the value of that experience? Yeah. Is it Quality, I not quantity, right? Exactly. Um, but then we think, oh, I am well-traveled because I went to this many countries. Why are we constantly measuring our value and our worth based on how much we do rather than who we are? Mm. That's where the real value is. Who are we as people? What matters to us? You know, what are our values? What is it that we want to share with others? Um, so that's the one big reframe I would really advocate for on that side. On the other hand, putting your energy into life projects outside of work, it's not just like being a workaholic and finding an excuse to work again. When it's your own project, it's an extension of yourself, which can be dangerous, but it's also top of the pyramid stuff. It's self-actualization because it probably is something very likely that is linked to your sense of purpose and mission in life of what you actually want to share with the world. And it's your way of expressing that. So mm -hmm. if it's something that is aligned with your purpose, that allows you to express your essence and feel that you're a sense of actualization, then that's actually happiness as well. Yeah. And I would even add my two cents in to say that I think we think, oh, that's more time I have to spend doing something. But if you really find something that's aligned for you, that hits on that sole purpose, that feels like it's your calling, like how I felt about doing the podcast on the side of being a lawyer, it actually fills you up. It's, yeah. it's not this traditional, like I've spent all Saturday on it. And don't get me wrong. Like there are bits of it that are admin heavy and, and whatnot. Like that's all part of running a whole project by yourself, but all in all, the reason and the why I have as to why I'm doing it fulfills me entirely. And that never feels like a drain on my time the way my nine to five did. And that's how I knew this is, this is something I, I really need to investigate. This is something I need to look into further if I really want to be happy. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really glad that we're having this conversation because I think the guilt that can come from 
allotting time, not only in terms of how productive am I looking in my job, but even like I'm spending too much time just not doing life things or not seeing people or saying no to events and things like that can become really muddled and messy when we're trying to make space for these kind of projects. And I think opening up the space for these sort of things in your life really help you move a little bit closer to that calling. So if you're not in a position where you can, you know, pack up your job and just start looking or you don't want to leave your job because it fulfills maybe a financial need or something like that, I think you can definitely start with those life projects. And I think the really big difference with people who feel balanced and people who feel completely disconnected from their sense of balance is all identifiable in how you spend your spare time whether you're feeling guilty about how you're spending it or whether it's a choice, like whether you're choosing to spend it in a way that feels right for you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, everything we're talking about now is incredible because I feel like it's just the key to getting you on the path to your mm-hmm. happiness. If you've been thinking of starting a podcast or already have one, then this quick message is for you. I know how scary and lost it can feel navigating the podcast space, which is why She Podcast Live is the place to be and something I wish I had known about earlier in my journey. This event is the world's largest gathering of female podcasters where you can expect to learn from editors, social media marketers, authors, podcast hosts, and more during a four-day event from October 11 to 14 in Washington, D.C., Among all of the goodness, a personal standout for me is that they will have an entire track dedicated to self-care. Hit the link in the show notes if you're ready to take your podcasting game to the next level and you can use the code TBT for $50 off your ticket. If you're interested but not local to DC, you can stay tuned for virtual tickets by subscribing on the website. Now let's get back to the episode. Um, And and speaking about happiness, and and I've got a hunch that this is going to be one of those myths you're going to bust for me. Uh, But my question is, what are some common ways that people can block themselves from being happy, whether it be explicit or implicit? Okay, so there's the the simple answer and then the scientific answer. Um, Can I have both? (laughs) Of course. Uh, The simple answer is that we're chasing the wrong things. We think that we'll be happy when we have the perfect body, when we have the perfect partner, when we have the perfect If and then. Yeah, like when I'm thin, I'll be happy. I need to be thin. I need to be retired. I need to be rich. We are chasing this in a way that is just, you see it. Like the uh, one simple example is how many times have you been targeted with advertising for yet another course that tells you like your million dollar idea is just here? Why are we so, why do we, okay, why do we want to be a millionaire? So that we have free time to be happy. Now, what if you could just have that without being a millionaire? Let's just take a step back because these things actually don't make us happy. Now, here's the scientific reason. I would say the main main theory behind this is something called hedonic adaptation. So hedonic adaptation means basically our minds are designed to get used to stuff. We get used to that new job. We get used to the marriage. We get used to um, getting into your dream school um or buying a new thing so say you buy a car because it's going to last a long time then actually the excitement you feel the level of happiness goes up above the baseline and then you go back to the baseline so this really is for me the the issue and what's even worse is that we don't realize that our minds are built to get used to stuff so we're constantly Mm -hmm. mispredicting how much something will have an impact on us. So we think we might overestimate the impact of buying that new car and we might underestimate the idea of something really bad happening. So we we actually might not be as affected by bad news and we might not be as well affected by good news. But the point is that you you always go back to the baseline. Yeah. So how do you overcome that? You have to basically there are ways that you can overcome this by being more grateful by taking the time to savor an experience knowing that that second or that minute that hour is something you will never get back um and there's this really great great quote by dan gilbert that i love that um i discovered in the yale happiness course i can't remember the quote exactly but he basically says a really good car is there to stick around forever but that trip that you took to Europe, it evaporates. 
And what I love with that is I'll give you a really um, typical example. Uh, another, actually, one more thing I want to add is um, human brains are built to think in relative instead of absolute terms. So this is something else that's in the Yale happiness class that is just mind blowing. What does this mean? It means that say you get a new job that pays 100K. We don't think I earn 100K. We think how much is everyone else earning? We are constantly comparing ourselves to others. And social media has unfortunately had a bad role in this. We're constantly looking, how much am I earning compared to other people? What is my body like compared to everyone else? How is, what's my boyfriend life like compared to someone else? What's my house like? What's my car like? Now, and a great example that they give in this class is two people buy a new car. They're going to be like, how's my car compared to this? Two people go on a skiing trip to Europe they'll never have the same trip because that experience is unique to each person. So the secret there is invest in things that evaporate, that you can only live once and that you can savor, enjoy and be grateful for. And Beautiful. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up the hedonic adaptation. I think it's also referred to as a hedonic treadmill. Yeah. And I've actually done an episode on it talking about why some people might find gratitude hard. And I think it's because of this dilemma of the hedonic treadmill. And and I was thinking about it more from the lens of, you know, when you get, right, you think that this thing will make you happy. It comes back to exactly what you're saying. When I have this body, I'll be happy. When I have this amount of money in my account, I'll be happy. When I can buy this house, I'll be happy. You get that thing and it might feel great, but then it kind of, you know, you go back to that baseline. And it's like, it really puts into perspective, well, what are you chasing? Is this thing that you're chasing going to give you this long-lasting sense of fulfillment or happiness, or is it going to be a fleeting yo-yo, as the hedonic adaptation would would argue? And and a really simple antidote antidote to that is gratitude. Yeah. Um, but but I think that really, I think it's conditioned us. Like I was actually thinking about it as superficial as it sounds from. When I was a bit younger, I used to online shop a lot, right? I would get a buzz out of ordering, getting packages every week. This sounds so superficial and I have snapped out of that habit a long, long time ago. Moving out and not having the budget for it was a big help. But, you know, I would order something. I'd be so excited for it to come. It would come and then I would forget I even had it. And it would just be this vicious cycle. And I think as well, like a whole part of this capitalist culture that we live in where you need more, you need stuff, I think plays a really tricky role in and amongst all of this. But I think if it serves for anything, for anybody listening, it's to just really think about what are the things you're chasing that you think will make you happy? Because if you can't look objectively at your life now and find that happiness, then that's changes you need to make to your life, to your lifestyle. It's not stuff you need to wait for in your future. You, you're entitled and, and you should experience happiness right now in the moment. So that's looking at, well, what does your health look and feel like? What are your relationships like? Does your job fulfill you? Or are there life projects that you want to be doing? All those things that will create, like I love how you were talking about, you know, that evaporating versus the long-term, you know, all those things that are going to contribute to your sense of happiness right now. So you don't have to wait for the if and the when. Exactly. And what I love um, about gratitude and, and what you said about capitalism really relates to this scarcity versus abundance mindset. Um, our capitalistic society wants to keep us in a scarcity mindset because that's how you keep buying. Like I don't have mm -hmm. enough. I don't have enough. I need to have more. And I would say if anyone is looking for the path to happiness, and this is what I do in, in my work, which is happiness is now. How can you find not only your long-term path, but bring in that into your daily life as a practice? So mm -hmm. it can, for me, my goal, the moments where I feel an intense amount of happiness are moments where I'm content with the feeling of my own breath. Now, that is just so simple, but just knowing I'm alive and I'm breathing and I'm so grateful for this. And very often I'm either sitting in meditation or I'm outside, I feel the breeze on my skin, I feel the rays of sun on me. It is that simple. That's what happiness is. It's every single moment is a gift. That's what we should be aiming for. And we don't need to buy a bunch of stuff. What we do need is to change our mindset and to bring in these habits and rituals and routines that are going to enhance that for us. And, and that's what I want for everyone. I really think the world would be 
a really different place if if we weren't thinking if we if we've had redefined happiness in our own terms yeah I, I couldn't agree more and and that really just brings in the concept of just being present and and it also brings in this idea that happiness should be a priority every single day it should be something that's on your to-do list it should be something that you're actively and proactively seeking in the avenues of your life you know do you find happiness in your habits and your routine around your health do you find happiness in the relationships you have and those are small tweaks that you can make to eventually curate a lifestyle that is going to just give you you know kind of um, reflect the happiness so that it's not always something you have to go out and look for beyond the hills and in five years time or in three months time you know it's around you and it's present Um, and on this topic I actually wanted to ask you something which I, I didn't uh, put in the brief, but I'm, I'm sure you have your own thoughts on it. And that is, I think sometimes we can get stuck in this loop of, I need to be happy all the time. And I think that there's an element of that, that can be a little bit dangerous because if we're being completely honest, life isn't made of these happy, joyful moments all the time. We are going to have those days where unexpected things happen. We have immense challenges. We have those low emotional moments. And so my question to you is potentially how do people reconnect with their happiness in those times or what does that mean for happiness overall? Is that just a byproduct and part of it? You know, how do you sort of weave in that reality aspect with the concept of happiness just so people aren't, um, I guess, unrealistically looking at happiness in their lives? Absolutely. I'm really glad you asked that question because people think that they should be jumping for joy at every single moment. Um, And that's not what happiness is about. Um, First, I'd like to give a brief definition of how I I look at happiness because it's kind of context to this. There are kind of two approaches. One is hedonic happiness and one is eldimonic happiness. Hedonic is that jump for joy moment, like I'm so happy right now, pleasure and absence of pain. Eldimonic happiness is about fulfilling your potential and finding fulfillment and meaning in life. Now, the journey, I'm more of the eldimonic school. I think that should be our baseline. And then we should sprinkle some hedonic moments, like, I don't know, so a few sparkles there. <laughs> but um, part of the eldimonic approach, therefore, happiness being fulfilling your potential, finding fulfillment and meaning, that involves sadness as well. So, to answer your question, sadness is an essential emotion to happiness. It guides us. I would never have embarked on my happiness journey, what I call my bailando journey, if I hadn't <laughs> have experienced rock bottom sadness. But in daily life, I feel sad too. Even though I'm practicing happiness every single day, I've just changed the way that I tackle the sadness. So for instance, when I feel sad, I start to name emotions. When you name things, you take away their power. So I think, okay, Right now I'm feeling sad. Why am I sad? I think it's because I'm disappointed. I feel betrayed. You you note everything down. And there are ways to almost savor your sadness or allow yourself to sit with it. So often we're trying to distract ourselves away from these difficult emotions. And it's something that I love in Brene Brown's work, which is sitting with difficult emotions. Um, Sit with them. Just allow them to be and be like, okay. It's almost like you separate yourself as two people and you're like, okay, let's sit down here. You're feeling sad. What can I do to comfort you? What are the emotions you're feeling right now? And you kind of take yourself through these, you have a conversation with yourself. Like, okay, right now I'm feeling this, 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 and this. And by all means, you can share this with a friend or a loved one. Like, and why are these emotions coming up? Is it triggering something much deeper? And how does that relate to your values? Is it because one of your values wasn't met? Is it because you feel that your purpose is not, you know, it's, it's not helping you go forward in your purpose? And then allow yourself to, to kind of nurture yourself through that sadness. There is no happiness without sadness. We need it, but mm. we need to care for ourselves. If, almost like we were a parent to ourselves, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I just think it's a, a necessary reminder for people when we're talking about happiness that it's it involves all of it. You know, you can have a lifestyle that's um, curated and filled with the happiest things, the things that fulfill you and give you joy, but 
life is an up and down journey and, you know, happiness has its place in and amongst that. But I, I love the description or I guess the concept of having sadness almost as a point of reference. You wouldn't know what being happy feels like if you didn't know what being sad feels like. And they almost act as a bit of a yin and yang. So um, just something I wanted to touch on. But before we wrap up, and if you've already shared all your happiness hacks, that is absolutely fine. But are there any stones unturned that, you know, are hacks that you've either created or heard that are worth sharing with everybody? Uh, I would say we've already touched on this, but I would say the biggest hack um, is to redefine what success means. Because people often are more into the success angle than the happiness angle. Um, Redefine that for yourself. And then the the steps that I work with, um, so I've given my high level kind of three parts, um, which is your identity, embodiment, and alignment. And then for me, the path to happiness is really part of these seven steps. And before you embark on, on this journey, Um, you start with knowing, well, what is happiness really? Once you're clear on that, you redefine success. You identify your values and your strengths. You allow yourself to think beyond limits that we often place on ourselves. We overcome fears. We learn to be in our body and in mind where we're so often in our mind. We make small choices every single day. And finally, we design our happiest life as the architect of happiness. So those are the seven steps that I have. I have a free happiness workbook that follows those steps. And my course, Redefine Your Happiness, is a whole path from beginning to end through those steps because for me that's what the journey to happiness really is. That's beautiful. And, and I'm really glad you sort of touched on that as a, as a parting words of wisdom because when everyone thinks about it, what we're chasing and what we feel like will, quote, be successful once we hit is essentially what we're saying will make us happy. They are very, very closely linked. And so I think getting clear on that or even just asking yourself, you know, in my life right now, at what point do I think I'll be successful and what does that mean? I think you'll get very obvious or I guess clear reflection of what you think will make you happy. And that's when you can start objectively looking at it. So mm-hmm. of course, I'm going to pop some links to your redefine your happiness course below, which you've kindly offered 20% off for all of our listeners today. So balances, if you click on the link and use the code balance at checkout, you'll be able to claim that before and up to the 8th of September. But for anyone listening who wants to continue following along your journey, where's the best place they can do so. And I'll also add those links to the show notes. So I'm most active on Instagram. Um, my handle is at Bailando Journey, B-A-I-L-A-N-D-O Journey, because that was my happiness dancing. Journey, my dancing <laughs> journey. Um, and I really love to share these small moments of happiness on my stories or in my posts and, and getting people to reframe and redefine. I'm constantly um, getting people to think about their happiness and, and sharing what do all these beautiful theories and concepts actually look like in practice? Yes, absolutely. A a lot of great positivity and really critical reframing. So worth a follow. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But Alianor, I really want to thank you for your time. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. And, um, you know, I'm going to be in Lisbon in a couple of weeks. So I'm really looking forward to sitting down and having a coffee with you face to face and probably getting you back on the show sometime soon, but really looking forward to seeing where your journey goes and, and being a supporter from afar as well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Erica. This was such a nice conversation.